Welcome to In Search Of, a podcast of the Christian Century, where we go in search of voices and perspectives that inform and expand a life of faith. This podcast is inspired by a line from the poet Rainier Maria Rilke. You see, said the poet, I am one who likes to look for things. I'm your host, Amy Frickholm, and like Rilke, I like to look for things. Sometimes, let's be honest, more than I like to find them. In season one of In Search Of, we are exploring saints and sages, inner and outer landscapes, and the dynamics of searching and finding. In other episodes of this podcast, we look for saints in the desert and the meaning of dreams. But today, we're going to take a step back from looking for specific things and talk about the search itself. I'm welcoming Karen Johnson to the show today. Karen is a searcher of the highest caliber. She is one of those restless souls who would probably rather search than find. She's co-founder of an organization called Resoul Sisters. Resoul Sisters works with individuals and groups to help connect people to their souls, by which we mean their life force, their, eff- their essence. And in connecting people with their souls, Resoul Sisters finds that people are then able to explore their deepest purpose and heal in profound ways. I have myself taken Resoul Sister workshops and found them immensely useful for exploring the ways that my personality and my soul can sometimes be at odds with one another. Hi, Karen. Welcome, and thanks for joining me on In Search Of. Thanks, Amy, for having me. I thought it might be fun to start today's podcast with a quotation from The Moviegoer. The Moviegoer is a novel by Walker Percy that is personally one of my favorites, in, in particular because of the way the main character, Binks, tries to articulate what he is searching for. And what he says about his search reminds me, Karen, of a lot of the conversations that you and I have had. So I thought it might be fun to put that out there. Binks is kind of a dropout from ordinary life, which I'm not exactly saying you and I are. We're not, but (laughs) we need to talk about about the role of ordinary life in the search. But he goes to a lot of movies and people think he's in despair, but he insists that he is not in despair. He's on a search. What is the nature of the search, you ask? The search is what anyone would undertake if he were not sunk in the everydayness of his own life. To become aware of the possibility of the search is to be onto something. Not to be onto something is to be in despair. What do you seek, God? You ask with a smile. I hesitate to answer, since all other Americans have settled the matter for themselves. Who wants to be dead last among 180 million Americans? For, as everyone knows, the polls report that 98% of Americans believe in God and the remaining 2% are atheists and agnostics, which leaves not a single percentage point for a seeker. The novel was written in 1960, and I certainly think between then and now, we've perhaps found a few more percentage points for seekers. But I feel like Percy helpfully points us to the search itself and not to what is sought. So Karen, thanks for joining us on this inquiry into the search itself. And I wonder if you could start by telling us a story, maybe about a time when you went in search of something that was hard to find. Yes, and thanks for sharing that quote. I really liked the phrase sunk into everyday life and how that can just lead people to a feeling of despair, feeling sunk. And I love your question about what have I searched for in my life and has that search been fruitful or has it been more about the process? For me, the search has really been more, I would say, non-tangible qualities of life. So for instance, 
I have been on intentional searches for God, intentional search for who am I as a person? What am I here to do? I've been on a search for peace and for self-love and self-kindness and searching for community and connection and feeling like I'm a part of something bigger than myself. A lot of other people maybe listening to this podcast might resonate with searching for those things. I remember you telling me once upon a time, I remember we were in a car on a way mm-hmm. on the way to visit a friend who was getting out of jail. And oh, yes. in the car, <laughs> you told me about a time when you went in search of God or maybe also God and purpose by going to seminary. But that didn't last very long. And I wonder if you could tell <laughs> us about the choice to go look for God in seminary and then what happened next? I feel like when I originally decided to go to seminary, I had this thing I'm looking for, God. I mean, that's not a little idea or concept. However, in that search and where I was in that time of my life, that was like my early 20s, my culture and my conditioning and the constructs that were around me would like would connect the search for God to seminary. I didn't really have another framework of how I could go about looking for God at that time in my life. That's what made sense. And that's why I love this process of searching because oftentimes we end up finding what we're looking for, not how we started the process, not how we thought we would originally find God. And so here I am in seminary because I was like, well, that's the logical next step, right? If you're going to go look for God or want to dive into spirituality, seminary makes complete sense. And so I ended up being at seminary for two years. I wasn't there long. I just got to a place after the second year in seminary, and I was studying spiritual formation and soul care in hopes of, like you said, also looking for my purpose. Maybe I would offer spiritual direction to people. And after the second year, I remember distinctly, I was in a coffee shop working on preparing for my thesis. And my thesis was all around this concept of what does it mean to hear the voice of God? Can we hear the voice of God? And the topic itself really resonated with me, but nothing in my being was motivated to do my thesis. And I remember going into the bathroom in this coffee shop and I heard this voice, whether you call it God, whether you call it my soul, whether you call it just this knowing or intuition of, I need to leave seminary. This isn't where I'm meant to be right now. And that didn't mean I knew where I was going next. I just felt this deep need inside that this was not my path anymore. It had been my path, but now it's not my path. I'm the type of person that in the searching, I am very in tune and stay in check with, I would call it my intuition, my soul, this deep place of knowing. And I listen, even though oftentimes it's scary. Oftentimes it doesn't make sense. Oftentimes I'll get pushed back from people in my community who you're only two classes away or four classes away from getting your master's. Why would you quit now? I just know that there's something inside of me that's wiser than I might know in the moment. And so alas, I quit seminary and that began my search for God outside of those constructs. Who is God to me outside of how I 
have been raised to believe who God is or how I've been told by a pastor or how I've been told by my classes. It tore all those boxes apart and I started a new search of like, what does that all mean then? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's great that you were writing a paper about how to find the voice of God or how to hear the voice of God. And then you went to the bathroom and heard the voice of God. (laughs) You're right. That's a pretty funny. uh, (laughs) I mean, is that something that's always been true for you that you have this deep voice of intuition? Do you remember the first time you heard that voice or the first time you gave it any credence? How did this voice develop in you? I have thought about that question before in my own process and then also with some mentors in my life. I feel like that probably was one of the most distinct times where I had nothing I could argue. There's nothing in me that was like, did I hear that? Did I not hear that? Am I making it up? It was 100%. That's what I needed to do. So that was probably the first time I felt it in that deep of a place within me. I do think, though, that I was raised in a pretty traditional Christian background, and there was often times when I was growing up that I felt like a black sheep, and I knew something inside of me doesn't fully resonate with this culture or spirituality I'm a part of, and I knew spirituality and God was a huge part of who I am and what I want to do with my life, it didn't feel like it fit in the mold. And I didn't vocalize it with anyone outward, but I definitely had that tension residing inward. And so with that tension, I felt like that voice started to push back. And so that was my early years of just feeling a tension within. And then eventually when I was more off on my own, I feel like that voice finally got to be heard. And then eventually maybe you get a little better at hearing it as time goes on because you don't have as many obstacles in the way. Would you say something like that? Yeah. So in the work of Resoul Sisters, one of the phases or transitions that people are in that my business partner and I are most passionate about is that struggle. And oftentimes when we make changes in our lives that are more aligned with our soul and who we are and our purpose, it starts with a place of someone being like, I don't like my job. I just don't like my job. I might not know what I want to do next, but I just know there's this tension building in me that like this check engine light inside of you, your soul is like, wait, something is off and not in alignment. So maybe let's dive into that and see if this isn't what I'm meant to be doing, then let me pause. I think because I've had so many times in my life, I've been in that spot and then I've been able to journey down the road far enough to be like, oh, it really is exciting to start off, even if you don't know where you're going. But I would say maybe for people that that's something that's new for them, that can be a really hard place. So frightening, so unbelievably uncomfortable. To the point that people we work with, that we have worked with, will admit to us, I'm staying busy enough to not let that tension or that um, uncomfortable place arise because I just don't want to, I don't want to be there. (laughs) That's that's maybe what Binks means by the sunkness in everyday life, right? I'm just sinking myself into everyday life so I do not have to deal with this discomfort. But I don't know, my experience is that you can't really get away from that tension. Once it's there and, and you feel it, it comes back. The more you fight it, 
Like when you're in quicksand, the more you fight it, the more you're going to sink deeper into the earth, deeper into despair, deeper into this place of feeling stuck. And so it's really in welcoming that tension and welcoming for me hearing this voice out of the blue say, quit seminary, even though you're four classes away from getting your master's. It's uncomfortable, but I feel like if you fight it, it just makes it worse. (laughs) That's the irony. And you also are intentionally avoiding clarity because I remember, I remember once I did something very similar where I finished my degree, but then I decided not to go into the university and I got the most unbelievable and joyful clarity from that decision. I didn't have any idea what I was going to do next. I just knew that that was not the place for me or the direction for me. And there was this great, big, beautiful clarity. And then of course there were all these voices saying, you can't do that. You just gave six years of your life. You just got a degree. You can't give this up. But when I knew that it was the right thing to do, I got this joy that I couldn't resist. I felt similar after I quit seminary. It was this like rush of adrenaline, which can be filled with so many different feelings of scared. Almost like when you get to the top of a roller coaster and you're about to go down the hill, you're like stoked because this is awesome. But then it has fear. I remember the predominant feeling inside of me was this freedom. The world felt wide open. I know some people that we've worked with, that might just be terrifying to have all these options. I'd rather almost just be told what to do next, you know? Sure, absolutely. And I hate that feeling at the top of the roller coaster. I'm no fan (laughs) at all of that feeling. I I actually avoid that feeling at all costs. I don't want to be up there just about to go down and feel that terror. The feeling, I'm really out of control. I really can't do anything to stop this. No, that is not Mm -hmm. how that's that. And to think about that feeling in everyday life, there's also a kind of privilege. You and I are talking about stepping away from degree programs or whatever that allow us to, to take that journey. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about kind of the role of privilege or maybe just what you've seen in people's stories around around have to's, you know, things that are really genuinely, I have to support my family, or I have to take care of my aging parents or, or whatever it is. How do we negotiate in the search those things which we have to do to which we have a deep responsibility? One of my thoughts when I said, oh, the world was wide open to me, that is a privileged stance for me to even be able to say that the world was open to me. And During that time of my life, I was blessed with a family that was like, you can just stay with us until you decide what you want to do next. And so it's nice to have a community that supports you when you're in these times that feel so clunky and messy because you do have to balance responsibility, money, providing for who you need to provide for, and at the same time, honor who you are in your soul. And I would say that's definitely one of the biggest challenges I've seen with people in this work so far. I can't just quit my job and go pursue this dream. I need to pay rent and the bills. I feel like in the throes and depths of that question currently, because I'm pursuing this dream of starting Resoul Sisters and very much in the beginning process of it, I'm still working for my old job I quit part-time because the reality is I still need to buy food and pay for rent. I would have to add, though, that recently I read this book called The Awakened Woman by Dr. Trent, 
And she's this woman from Zimbabwe. And she had five dreams that she ended up burying in the ground. And at the time of her life that she buried these dreams, she had four children before the age of 18 and was in an impoverished village. And she still had this dream. Her dreams were to get a GED, then get a bachelor's in America, then her master's, then her doctorate. And then her fifth dream was to go back to Zimbabwe and start a school for girls so they wouldn't have to struggle like she did. I don't know if anyone could read her book and not be in tears. She's so inspiring because she did all five of her dreams and the book talks about all her struggles through it. And it took her 20 years to accomplish them. But what I want to point out about her story is the fact that because she dove into this hard work and this messy work of living her dreams and following them and balancing the fact that she had four children to raise in a foreign country where she was still learning so much about school and education, I can't even imagine doing one of those things on her plate. She did it and she persevered. And now because she lived her dreams and did that, she is now opening the way for the generation behind her and making it easier. That's what gives me hope when we talk about topics like this, because it's, it just shows you that the more we're living from our souls in alignment with our purpose, we are going to open the way for the future people. And it actually might be easier for the people after us because of the hard work we've done. You are listening to In Search Of, a podcast of the Christian Century. You'll be inspired and informed by the excellent writing and thinking found in the pages of Christian Century magazine. Subscribe with this special offer only for podcast listeners who are also new subscribers. Get a whole year of the century for just $19.95. To sign up, Go to christiancentury.org slash in search of offer. That's christiancentury.org slash in search of offer. And in my experience, a lot of times people use that question of, well, I can't quit my job. I can't leave this relationship. I can't, you know, do X, Y, or Z. It's a way of stopping the search of of saying, okay, well, that's enough. I don't need to actually search for this. I can't go any farther because they think the answer is going to have to be something so impossible that they at the outset decide I cannot possibly do that. That's too scary to think about. What I hear in your story is this idea that your soul might actually understand that, (laughs) might actually (laughs) want the best for you and Mm -hmm. not be interested in destroying you with crazy leaps off of a cliff, but might actually want to teach you how to live in your actual circumstances as opposed mm-hmm. to the ones that you think, I can't do this, I can't do that. I just feel like a lot of times in conversations with people as they're trying to explore where to go in their lives or what to do next, they often stop with that, I can't. And then, yeah. therefore, I must be miserable. I must live in this state of despair. Yeah, my, my current mentor always reminds me people would much rather live in the known even if it's full of misery rather than this unknown that's full of uncertainty and fear, yet their soul could be like, I know that's where the life is and what I'm searching for is over in this category of the uncomfortable, but I'd rather just stay here because it's what I know. That's back to what we talked about earlier, the tension, the struggle that often starts this process. (laughs) So if you're working with someone to that point where they're like, you know, I think I just prefer my old known misery as opposed to what's ahead. 
what do you do next? How do you help them to get to overcome that barrier? What I've seen, even with the few people I've started working with or stories from my mentor, he often, when I watch him work with people, he'll, he'll simply say, okay, then stay there. He'll let the person live in that experience and never put this, you should follow your soul. And it's very much like laying it on the table and saying, okay, that's totally fine. Then live that way. And what's interesting is the person will sit in that for maybe a week or two, but it's almost if their soul really, if they're really in touch with that part and longing to live from that space, the tension only increases (laughs) to the point that they can't do it anymore. They're like, no, I have to make a decision. And I wouldn't say that's with everyone from what I've been learning from him is that he does have people that um, stay in the known. And one of his biggest advice for me is, as I'm going into this work, is he says, don't follow your work. Don't be attached to the outcome. You're here to help and be a facilitator and a guide for people. However, it's not your choice. And that's been really good for me too, because if I see people and I see what they want, I just want to help them get it. But in the end, if they don't choose that, it is what it is. I don't have to be attached to them doing that. But I have seen with the people that you could see their soul is so strong within them, the tension only gets bigger. Or like you said, there's only so long you can run away. (laughs) (laughs) Did I say that? (laughs) I'm fascinated as you're talking about this, about the dynamics between consent and refusal of like, we have to consent fully to this process or else the process can't do what it's doing with us. So if if we don't give our consent, it's not like someone can force you into it or even you can force yourself. Mm -hmm. I'm a big (laughs) big forcer of myself into things, but in terms of the search, it doesn't work. You can't demand that from yourself. Yeah. The only reason people change is because they want to, not because of anything you did. And I just love that for people that are in this field of working with others and wanting to see them live to their highest potential. The only reason they're going to ever do that is because they want to. And so you support that process and however it looks for them. Mm -hmm. How did you end up doing this work in a tiny little town in Colorado? I am definitely a believer in the magic of life. And I don't know, people can define that in so many different ways. For me, it's like those moments that are so synchronistic that I like to say, you just can't make that stuff up. You can't make it up when you meet people in your life that are exactly what you have been wanting to do. And then they're just poof, they arrive. It's like that quote that says, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I've had two profound times in my life when I've been ready for a big foundational change at my core and a teacher appeared to lead me through that change. And so I'm currently studying under this man named Dr. Roger Strachan. He's 86. He's been in this field his whole life and he created a model called Self Soul Spirit. And so he happens to live in a town 30 minutes from here. And he is connected to all these different organizations that me and my business partner have been 
profoundly affected by before we even met him. And so just the serendipitous ways of us even meeting him and then being able to train with him and these crazy ways of how much our stories align, even though I'm 34 and he's 86, we have so many similarities. We both went to seminary. We both studied counseling. We both were in education. We both loved the wilderness. He grew up in a town 20 minutes from my hometown in Ohio. So all that to say, I was ready for a new change in my life. I was ready to leave education. And he appeared in my life through a mutual friend and I met him and started training. And so he's really been the impetus, the catalyst for my business partner and I. She's also been training with him for over a year to start what is called Resoul Sisters. And you no, know, we haven't talked about the role of nature or wilderness in this circle. <laughs> it, it strikes me that that it's easy to overlook, but I wonder if you could talk about either just in your own experience, your own path or in the path of those that you've studied alongside, you know, what has been the role of wilderness or nature in this? I love that question so much because nature is so much a part of who I am. I would say my business partner, Tanya, nature is so a core of who she is. And we definitely want to use that as part of seeing transformation and supporting that in other people as they go through transitions in their lives. And I would say I could answer that question in a personal way is that I really believe when we're on these paths of searching and looking for our purpose or looking for just these fundamental needs of being human, whether that's peace or happiness or fulfillment, we need a space to go to let our soul fully breathe and fully feel connected and held And for me, nature has been a mother to me in the deepest sense of that word. There's been several times in my life where I fundamentally needed to feel like I wasn't alone and to feel like all is going to be okay and to feel like there's something bigger than me holding me. Fabric of love. That's the core of the universe. And so... Anytime I would get in those tear moments of what am I doing with my life or why did I just make that crazy decision, I go to nature. I literally go to nature. I go hike or I go sit by a creek or I even bring my guitar and sing and I just feel so held. And for me, it's like this membrane to access God. I feel so much closer to spirit and what that means in my life and nature. And I feel like that has been a core net of security and safety when I feel that tension in the struggle of this unknown world, the searching world that can feel so uncomfortable. <laughs> and so nature has been definitely a fundamental piece of being able to keep following the search. So it's like nature, in, in your case, provides a, a context where searching is okay. And you're- Oh my gosh, I love that held in something safe, something fundamentally safe where it's okay to go looking because this container is going to hold you still. Yes. I think you said it that so beautifully. Yeah. So as you're developing a set of tools for people as they go searching, if you could offer people one tool in their searching, what would it be? I'm trying to think of what came to me first. I don't know if this is a tangible tool you can hold on to, but I just know one of the core 
parts of the search is trusting your soul, intuition, that inner voice, trusting it. I just feel like that's fundamental to being able to stick it out in all the times of unknown. Even if, for instance, you get to that place, right, that we named the tension place of, I don't like this job and I'm not sure what I want to do yet, but it's enough tension. Or for me, I don't want to be at seminary more. I want to keep searching for God. I don't know what that looks like yet. And you have that tension. Even if you say yes to the journey, it's something you have to keep saying yes to. It's not just a one-time yes. And it's not like we just search once in our life. I think it's a process. We're reborn again and again into who we're really meant to be. We're searching again and again. And so we have to keep saying yes again and again. And even if you say yes at the beginning, just like I quit seminary right away, it doesn't mean that a month after that, I was like, cool, I'm on the journey. I had to keep saying yes and keep trusting that voice knows what it's doing. <laughs> it does. You know, I remember once working with a mentor that I thought was a hard scrabble journalist type. In my imagination, she was somebody who asked hard questions and went to the mm-hmm. scariest places on earth and, you know, tracked down these stories. But I didn't think of her as really being a, a spiritual person at all. And Mm -hmm. so she and I were working together and she was teaching me a lot of things. I was learning a lot and really enjoying our connection. But at some point she told me that the one thing she wanted me to do was read a book called, You Already Know What to Do. So I immediately ordered the book and it just blew me away that it was a book about the intuition and about how to find in yourself that place of knowing. And I, I think I was just stunned that this person that I took to be so good at being in the world found this book about listening to the inner voice as the most important thing for her. And I did read that book and I still read it all the time. I read it over and over again because it's all about tuning in and finding and saying yes again and again and again. Because I think like you said, it's never anything. You can't consent to the search once. And then, <laughs> no, you know, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't quite, doesn't quite look like that. And it's interesting because well, I have two things I would want to say. One is you would think that your search muscles get stronger and stronger, but I haven't found that because I feel like my current search, which could be named starting my own business full of so many unknowns feels just as scary to me as when I quit seminary 10 years ago. I think it's it's just the cur- this courage that we just need to keep tapping into to say yes again and again. I completely agree with you that I don't seem to get any better at this. I don't seem to get any better at <laughs> And maybe it's just a little more of a familiar terror. Like if you rode yes. the same roller coaster over and over and over again and you're like, okay, I know oh, I love her and I really hate it and I'm just going to close my eyes. But I don't feel like I'm getting, I get better at searching per se, or that I get over any kind of terror. It seems just as, just as real every time. I've never started my own business. This is a whole different search than me quitting seminary. And so I can't say I'm confident because I can be confident in something I've never done, but I can have this courage that has come from this place of, okay, I have stepped into something new And it's worked out and I've found what I was searching for. And so in that sense, I do think this place of trusting the process could per se, and I don't almost don't want to use that phrase because it's pretty cliche, but this place of 
I've felt all these uncomfortable feelings before and I'm able to get to a place of surrender maybe faster. Not to say it's easy or comfortable, but I'm able to get to this place of whatever happens, I release it and I know that maybe this business is going to morph into a different type of business. I'm less attached to the outcome and more welcoming of the process, the search, because I'm like, who knows what's going to happen? I would have never named what happened when I quit seminary. I don't know. I'll make new <laughs> mistakes, but I'm less yeah, likely to walk into the mistakes. old mistakes over again. I'd love to well, think that's true. I'm not yeah. 100% positive it's true, but I'd like to think it's true that, that my mistakes will grow increasingly new. Yes. <laughs> as I learn how, to, how to <laughs> process these things or how to, how to get in touch with the yes, with the, the voice of yes. And I just love that we're naming all this for not only myself, but for people that are listening, because I feel like in that, what we just named, there's so much kindness. Being kind to ourselves that if there's days that we're struggling, it's okay. This process is messy. It's uncomfortable. It can be scary. And welcoming all of it. One minute you're so excited and the next minute you're crying and the next minute you're like, how much longer? And the next minute it feels dark and that's life and welcoming all of it as beautiful. I do often find a lot of comfort in that thought of, look, it's an experiment. It can go well, it can go badly. It's an experiment. That's what an experiment is. Offering yourself that gentleness along the way of like, look, this doesn't have to go well. It's not, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to work. This is not a all stakes trial and error kind of thing. It's just an experiment. We're just giving it a try. Yeah, and I feel like a lot of that comes when we set out on the search without an outcome in mind. However, for me, it's less about is it going to work out or not? It's more about am I going to listen to my soul and discover what my soul wants to teach me through this process? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily is this business going to get up and going or not? Yeah, I've learned so much in the newness of where I'm at in my cycle of searching. <laughs> that's, that's great. Thank you so much, Karen, for this time Yay. to look at this more obscure approach to searching, but also I think the bigger picture of why do we search and, and what does it mean to find things and how do we start as beginners over and over again in the search. And so thank you for giving me the benefit of your wisdom and experience. And thank you, Amy, for having me. This has been a podcast production of The Christian Century, thoughtful, progressive Christian magazine of theology, politics, and culture. Visit us at christiancentury.org slash in search of to find show notes for this episode, to sign up for our weekly newsletter, and to find all the episodes of the podcast. This podcast is produced by Steve Thorngate. Editorial assistance has been provided by Annalisa Burns and Amy Adams. Special thanks to Kyle Peterson for theme music. The Christian Century is an independent, not-for-profit organization that relies on donations and subscriptions to create rich content like this podcast. Have you considered making a donation to The Century? Is your magazine subscription up to date? Visit ChristianCentury.org to make a donation and subscribe today. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.